evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Bethel Radio Hour, where Bible study and radio collide. Tonight in our segments, we will be discussing Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 29, building the Mount Rushmore of cuisine slash food genres, and continuing our discussions on millennials. I am Molly Kingston, your producer and fourth chair panelist. Joining me in the first chair is Pastor Ben Kingston. Dad, if you were given the chance to steal something, what would it be? Oh, my Goodness. Barring moral consequences. As if, oh, yeah. Listen, as if he doesn't know. Oh, I don't know what I would steal. <laughs> no clue. Well, the first thing he came to mind is a shotgun, because I, I, all my peers are persecuting me for the lack of a good shotgun uh, for turkey season and the such. I stole a piece of bubble gum when I was about eight years old, uh, encountered the wrath of my dad as a result of that. Um, but, uh, boy, other than a <laughs> shotgun, that's about the only thing that comes to mind. Okay. In the second chair is Dr. Gavin Hooks. If you were given the chance to steal, steal something, what would it be? It, it would be a collectible book. It would be... Like, like a really high-end, fat, yeah, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And I don't know that I would steal it, but I wouldn't tell them what they had and buy it cheap. Maybe that's... that's same as stealing. If it was at a garage sale, yeah, you wouldn't say you realize you got a five hundred dollar book here. Or something like that. Two bucks. Here you go. <laughs> yes. awesome. I can't believe I'm paying this for this book. <laughs> and finally, our third chair panelist is Ryan Mayberry. If you were given the chance to steal something, what would it be? Go big or go home. Steal an airplane. Yes. <laughs> Look at that. I like that. With no one else on it. Of course. <laughs> The problem. Well, you better get a pilot. <laughs> Unless you know how to fly a plane. I mean, I guess you could you use that plane to figure it out. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's but then it's also, big. an airplane seems hard to hide. That's yeah. what I was thinking, yeah. Well, if there's yeah. no moral consequences. No, no know. moral consequences. That doesn't mean you're not going to have, like, law consequences. Like, the police can still get you. Do you have law without morality? Now we're yeah. getting into. Oh, dear. <laughs> yes. Well, you have morality without law because laws human okay okay yeah this um, is on here. anyways <laughs> i <laughs> said <laughs> what would you steal molly <laughs> if i were able to steal something without moral dilemma it would be a 12-foot grand piano probably mm. white there you go. i would have to have help though so accomplices yeah. needed uh, those in the audience now that i've had time to think about it it would be the best <clears throat> angus bull on the market today there you go all right good answer uh, if I, there's I anyone know. in, <laughs> okay. If there, oh, someone just answered. The only thing I ever stole was bread, cheese, and meat. Well, that's something you did steal. You, you. This is like you know, <laughs> think outside the box. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Great answer. Great answer. Those in the audience, if you'd like to share your own answer to this question, text the number on the screen, and I'll share them throughout the show. This also applies to any other questions or topics of discussion we broach. As always, if you listen later online, please comment your answer on the Facebook post or wherever you listen, and then like and share so others can join in on the fun. So our first segment is covering Ephesians 4, 25 through 29. So I, what would the word be? Uh, I, I warned and or challenged the other panelists here that I dare you to get a word in edgewise because this is like the sugar stick of sugar sticks when it comes to my uh, ministry life and preaching because this is where God took me in confronting bitterness when I was uh, roughly 24, 25 years old and freshly youth pastor here and uh, 
Now, it, the verses that I'm talking about are actually outside of this particular passage, but they're the, the next few verses. But to get to those verses, you've got to go through 25, 26, 27. Uh, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, it's interesting there because he is talking in the context of church membership. But I think here he's expanding that to, you know, your neighbors are part of you. Your neighbors are part of your protection. Your neighbors are part of your reputation. Your neighbors are a part of you. And we know from the core principle, uh, God wants you to love him by loving your neighbors. And so uh, you're not going to love your neighbors very well if you don't put away lying, uh, if you don't speak truth to them uh, in the such. So, uh, and again, this is the practical part where Paul is telling the Ephesians how to live their lives. 26, be ye angry and sin not. Isn't that a challenge? I mean, we can handle the be angry part. Oh, okay, I got that. Uh, sin not. Oops. And then he says, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, I have not done a deep, if you will, uh, Greek word study on this passage. I have heard tons and tons of people speak on it through the years. The best thing thing that I have come up with is it's not so much a thou shalt not or thou shalt commandment as much as it's a really good manner of life that especially with your husband, wife, children, immediate family and the such, you don't let a 24-hour period go by without dealing with an issue that you have with somebody that you love. You guys want to weigh in on that? I like the... Um the specification, though, of that you can be angry. Yes, yes. It just means you cannot act on your anger and sin. Right. Um, and then also at school when we're dealing with um, crisis resolution, a big thing that they brought up is that you don't want to rush that. So, like, even though it says don't let the sun go down on your anger, it doesn't mean that you have to immediately face those resolutions either. Because a lot of times, especially, like, the sinning part in your anger comes from acting on your immediate emotions. So right. if you allow yourself to take a step back and the other person to take a step back, later you can come together and kind of talk through what exactly happened, how you really feel about the situation without the onset of emotions that you got from that conflict. And escalation is just natural. Yeah. It's just natural. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Like you said, mm -hmm. well, it just goes on and on. So uh, let's build a perimeter, okay? So mm -hmm. you've got a perimeter on this side that don't address it too soon because the emotions are too high, yet scripture says don't let the sun go down. So, in other words, work through this emotional minutia quickly. You see what I'm saying? Sit down, pray through, get the victory, and then go is what I would Agree you know. with thine adversary quickly whilst they are in the way with him. Right. That's what Amen. Because I agree with you. I which is the reason I don't have Facebook, <laughs> which is the reason, you know, obviously the fourth chair panelist that she calls herself is my daughter. So she's seen me in real time not live by this verse. <laughs> and, but she's also seen me in real time start living by this verse several years ago now. And so uh, you have to take time outs. I, I agree with that 100%. I, I just believe with the guidance of Scripture here, 
don't wait too much time. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Yeah. I think that goes both ways. Don't yeah. don't worry about what happens tomorrow, but don't take what happened today into, into tomorrow. tomorrow. Amen. Um, Good stuff. Uh, so so with that frame of mind, needing that space, and there's times I have to walk out of the room. Yep. With the with this as a deadline. So by the end right. of the day, I've got to get myself in control and Amen. and talk because to the individual. And the opposite is true too. If you allow it to last longer, then you can really stew in negative emotions that way as well. Like you really start building up other things. You start coming up with your own and conclusions about what the other person felt, why they did what they did. I, I'm really good at that too. Right, yeah. I think we all are really, really good at that. Well, yeah, and, and I, I, I dare say that we've all done that. You know, you sit there and you work through, uh, well, if they say this, this is what I'm gonna say, you know, and such of that nature, and it's not healthy. No, you and know. then most of the times when you get to the situation or get to the <coughs> conflict resolution, it doesn't go at all what at you all. imagined it to go. That's right. So uh, the the very <coughs> next verse, neither give place to the devil. As if that's something separate. <laughs> right. It, it's not. It, it goes along with it. Uh, so here you are in possible emotional harm, and the scripture is telling you, yes, it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to be angry to the point of sin. And you're going to have to work through that with Scripture as to what that looks like and what it doesn't look like. With that said, this is, is a definite issue. And this, this actual verse is in the area of um, demonic warfare, if you will. Because that word jurisdiction uh, is where the word place comes from. Neither give jurisdiction to the devil. So you can literally give up, if you will, a part of God's property. Because if you're saved, you belong to God. He, he owns you. And so you give part of his property to the devil by giving into that sin. And so now there's two sins to confess. The sin of what it was that you gave into and the sin of giving place to the devil. Well, most of us will say, Lord, I'm sorry for getting so mad at so-and-so. But we probably don't say, and forgive me, Lord, for giving up, you know, jurisdiction to the devil because you are, you know, you bought me with a price. Yeah. And, and so that's something to think about. If you want to talk more, just get with me. And, and I, I've got a whole little diagram that goes with it and all that neat stuff. Any other comments on that? Well, behave yourself in a way that God can defend. That's behave right. Behave yourself in a way that, that honors him and he will superintend your, your dealings. So th then he just gets even more practical. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, you know, we, we get beat up in this day and age of trying to tell the people that, that they're living off the government, if you will. And, and I'm not saying everyone that is receiving Social Security. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone that has made it up their mind. They are not going to work. And as a result, they are living off someone else's means. Uh, I believe that is scripturally wrong. I believe it is a sin. And so he's, he's saying, stop that lifestyle and go to work. But, but watch this. Go to work so that you can give to the next person that may have a need. So you're, you're not just working to provide for your needs. You're working to be a channel for God to provide for other people's needs. So now, I mean, you move from a life that is not fulfilling the purpose God created it for 
to a life that is fulfilling that purpose and helping other people fulfill their purposes. Comments? It kind of speaks to me as far, like another way to say it would be to, instead of stealing life, give life. There you go. Because if you're spending your time to earn this money and then somebody comes along and steals it, then you're not just taking currency, you're taking their time from them, which is their right. most precious Amen. commodity that they have. So don't steal somebody's life. Instead, spend yours in service of other people's so they have more ability to use their life for other productive things. Isn't, doesn't Proverbs, isn't there Proverbs that talks about that? He that stealeth taketh the man's life, taketh the man's life away. I think there's a proverb that basically says that. I, I, absolutely. I, I can't pull it up right now, but, but yes, I agree with that. So, so far we, we've done with, or we've dealt with emotions. We've dealt with essentially uh, giving jurisdiction uh, to the devil. In 28, we're dealing with uh, work ethics and the such. Now in 29, we're going to talk about the mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In other words, you're going to be positive. So, so you're not only going to give life in helping people with their needs, you're going to encourage them along the way. You're going to be the cheerleader instead of the negative person, if you will. Comments? Well, it kind of connects this plus the what we were talking about earlier with anger. Someone in the audience shared the verse Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away mm. wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Mm. Um, and talking more about, you know, to avoid an angry marriage or even just an angry relationship in general, if you use a kind and Christ-like manner and words, that's going to sweeten that relationship. Amen. And you know what I have found is a smile goes a long way too. So uh, <coughs> I was having a bad day yesterday in Walmart. And uh, I won't go into great detail, but it was mostly just physical, just not feeling good, and, and the emotions that come with that. So I, I felt like I needed something to drink. So I went to the subway there. This is Washington Walmart, and I got a Gatorade. And so I went to pay for my Gatorade, and the lady walks up and says, well, how's your day going? <laughs> I so bad wanted to just unload. <laughs> well, for one, I don't want to be here. You know, for what I'm having to do, and, you know, and I don't feel good and all that stuff. And I just said, you know what? I have decided and come to the point in my life that, that, that the answer to that question is based on my attitude. So I'm going to make a choice here. I, I'm having a great day. And she's like, good. She didn't want to hear my problems. She didn't want to hear my troubles. She just wanted to be nice. And, and she was, and it gave me an opportunity to, to encourage her. Uh, so let no corrupt communication. And then verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, why do you suppose he puts that here after telling you, don't give in to bad emotions? What? You're going, you're skipping ahead. I told you I was at the very beginning. Well, I are didn't, we out of time? I, no, I don't think so, but. Well, there you go. You're killing me. <laughs> we'll just get to chapter five quicker. Uh, so, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Uh, for emotions, don't grieve the spirit for uh, giving jurisdiction to the devil. Don't grieve the spirit uh, for stealing and work ethic. Don't grieve the spirit. Uh, corrupt communication, don't grieve the spirit. Uh, and then he says this, verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In my 25 years of pastoral ministry, and certainly in my eight years of youth <coughs> ministry, one of the biggest issues that I dealt with in a counseling setting was bitterness. You don't know what they've done to me. And at 
first, I didn't know how to answer that because the answer is pretty simple. You're right. You're right, unless I had a front row seat of, of the offense. But this is also true. You, sir or ma'am, do not have a clue as to what Christ paid for that sin on the cross. You don't have a clue. Well, you know, I haven't found anybody yet to argue with me on that point. And so we are to take Paul's and Christ's ultimately uh, their advice here to how to deal with bitterness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. If you do a little study of the word malice, it's pretty nasty stuff. So he's putting bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking on the same level as malice. The 1828 app tells you what malice is about. So that's a choice. Let all. That's a choice. And here's how you do it. Verse 32. Now, you remember, I forget the preacher that always says, I'm not talking to you, but someone in your pew. So if this doesn't help you, it's for someone else. This is scripture to set you and I free from bitterness. Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Here it is. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So you and I are to never ever carry an offense because Christ has taken care of all of it. It is paid, paid full. To tell us that, it is finished. So... How do you and I deal with the hurts that we've been dealt by our fathers, by our mothers, by our sisters, our brothers, our workmates, our employees, our neighbors, our employers, whatever the case may be? How do we deal with them? Well, you be kind, tenderhearted. Now, I love that word because there's only one way to be tenderhearted, in my humble opinion. Now, I butchered a beef here pretty recently, so I've been cooking a lot of steak. I've been determining new ways and learning ways to make that steak as tender as possible. The most ultimate way is to subject that meat to heat. When I put the meat through the fiery trials, if you will, of the oven or the grill, it tenderizes it to some level. Well, you and I will tenderize our heart to that particular person when we subject ourselves to the fiery trials that they have been through. And that doesn't mean you have to go through them. It means you have to realize what areas in their life that they have been hurt. Now, one of the most powerful phrases out there to understand why people hurt people is just this. Hurt people hurt people. Just like people love people that love people. Well, people that are hurt, it's just natural. They hurt other people. So when you, when you allow yourself to be tenderized by those fiery trials that they have been through, it really helps you. And then you make the choice. Well, I'm going to forgive them. How do you do that? By choice. How did Christ forgive you? He forgave us by choice. He forgave us without us asking. He forgave us without us deserving it. He forgave us without us being able to pay him back. Well, those are all things that you do to that person by choice. And watch this. You don't ever have to have a conversation with them. I mean, you can. And, and there's other scripture that carries that, whether you should, covers that, whether you should or not. But 99% of my forgiveness happens without them ever knowing it. But hopefully they can see it in my choice. Comments? I, um, 
I just am hesitant to make it so simple. It is simple in its foundation, but it, you can't ignore the fact that while you're going through this, it is a journey. Forgiveness is a journey. You have to sit down. Like, you know, their question is, you don't know what they did to me. Well, have you sat down and really thought, like, gone through all of the things, looked at their side? You know, like you said, you have to go put yourself in their position, mm -hmm. their trials. And when you sit down and then, like, work through your emotions, figure out why this hurts you so and, and how to combat those emotions. I think um, emotional maturity plays mm -hmm. a huge part in that. And then I just kept thinking of CR. Like, CR has you go through all these steps and you have to sit down and you, th you talk about, Okay, these are the people who I have hurts with, or these are the things that I have hangups with. Why? Right. Where did it come from? And how do I work through these emotions? How do I give this to God? You know, right. and you have that all laid out. And so, I just CR <coughs> is a great, Amen. a great resource to have to work through this because it's not easy. No, no, no. It, it, okay, so if if I communicated that, that's not what I'm trying to communicate. No, I don't think you. I just wanted to make sure that it was. Stated. stated, right, right, right. I, w what I'm getting at is that this is where you're going to end up. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to, but because God does not want us to carry the hurt. He, he, he went to all the trouble to forgive it. He wants us to lay it down. And, Think and about the, the arrogance and the, because it happened to me, Jesus, that happened to me. Right. He did that to me. You're saying that, Jesus, you're going to have to pay more for this sin. Mm -hmm. That's right. this, this and we would never do that. But we do it with our actions. With our actions and with our hanging on to bitterness. And uh, another thinking through it, I think, is is critical. Um, I always go back to the the un unforgiving servant in Matthew, I think, 17, where the man was owed the the uh, Lord of his Lord ten thousand talents, mm -hmm. and he was forget he just begged for forgiveness, and the Lord gave him forgiveness. And then he went to was mm -hmm. walking down the street, saw the guy that owed him a hundred talents, and then he took him to task, threw him in prison. Of course, his Lord saw what happened and said, you're going to prison too until you've paid the last penny. If that's how you want to operate, if you want to operate by uh, justice, well, let's operate by justice. So, so essentially he was forgiven in an, a lifetime of sin. 10,000 talents would have been a lifetime of earning. And then he had to have that hundred a month's worth of uh, pay from that other guy. So the, the proportions there, you have to see that I was given a lifetime of forgiveness, and now I'm going to hold I'm going to hold a sin against somebody else that because it cost me something. One more thing to think about is that whenever we go through stuff, when someone hurts us, Jesus hurts too. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus's uh, example when Paul was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus interrupted him on his path, and he said, "Paul, why are you persecuting me?" He didn't say, why are you persecuting the, the family in Jerusalem? Why, why'd you, why are you going to persecute the pastor in Damascus? You're persecuting me. So when Jesus' followers go through things, he personally feels that hurt too. If, if Jesus is giving grace for it, then, then we need to follow suit. Amen. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's move on to our next segment. So we'll move on to chapter 5 next week. That's fine. I'm just she making notes so we don't that, forget it. No, I don't want to forget it. You guys need to work something out after the show. <laughs> you said I was slipping Sun's earlier, so I'm trying to keep notes. Um, the Mount Rushmore of food genres or cuisine. Is hey, explain I mean. that. So it's types of food. So I kind of figured. But then it could also, because mine I mean, broke down. Do you have down. to stick to the pyramid? 
Masters. No, because no, I, I went outside of that. So let me give you my Mount Rushmore, Please. and then hopefully it might enlighten you to yours. <laughs> so number one, or George Washington, is obviously Korean <laughs> slash Chinese. <laughs> and wait, then wait, George Washington's Korean? I know, that's why I laughed. I was like, <laughs> that sentence sounds wrong. But uh, Wow. He would be we were more. multicultural before we even <laughs> knew it. All right, go ahead. We I'm sorry. were multicultural. I know, nice Anyways, and then uh, I'm guessing Abe Lincoln is going to be Mexican. And then uh, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson is donuts slash pastries. Sweets. And then is it, it's Roosevelt, right? Is pizza. Cool. So are they at four to one? Or how, how did you rate that? Was, that was one to four. One to four, okay. All right, so. I, I mean, Thomas know, Jefferson might be. I'm just, I'm just, I can't get over that Lincoln was Mexican. So. Uh, <laughs> So your number one is Korean. Yeah. Your number two is Mexican. Uh huh. Your number three is what? Donuts and pastries. Okay. And number four? Pizza. Pizza. All right. I like it. Who's next? So so would like Little Debbie Hostess and Nabisco would they be genres? Or uh, yeah, I would. I, I would. I'm asking I would for a friend. I, I <laughs> Are they all four of your genres? Did you mention before? Uh, I didn't say they were mine. Oh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> So I got to rethink my answer now. Well, I, I went a little a different direction because again, and that's fine. Yeah, genres I guess can mean different things. Mm -hmm. uh, pasta would be number four for me. Uh, soups would be number three. Veggies would be number two, and meat steaks specifically Dude. would be number one. Yeah, that was my number one as well as the meat. Second would be Mexican. You just can't go wrong with Mexican. Amen. Uh, third, Italian. And then fourth was anything homegrown <laughs> and cooked. I've never been Amen. disappointed by something that someone grew and cooked themselves. Yeah, it's also if it's your from your own garden, it's very, uh, I don't know what the word Satisfying. is. Satisfying. Satisfying. Yeah. Uncle Gavin? Number four, Chinese. The whole, whole genre there. Ten minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Southern comfort food, so yes. uh, fried chicken, mas uh, mashed oh potatoes, yeah. uh, cho chocolate gravy, uh, <laughs> biscuits, the, that that kind of. So Southern comfort food. We we had some friends that lived in Memphis, and we we went down there, came back at least five pounds heavier every time we went. <laughs> every time. Um, number two, Mongolian, the Mongolian grill. Yeah, yeah, like yeah those that. are good. Yeah. And then number one, Americana, steak and potato, and covered with butter and garlic. Yeah. Want to be weeping by the last bite? Cooked. <laughs> you want to have an emotional experience, yes, sir. All right. Well, perfect. So I had, um, I did get a text and I missed it. So from the first question, oh well. Also, Jamie asked, "What is it with men and meat?" <laughs> Anyways, and Make Layla said she would question. steal money. <laughs> What's that? Layla said she'd steal money. It's <laughs> the best smart because you can just buy whatever you want. That's right. Yeah. Right. But don't buy, don't steal a little. So do we want to well, answer yeah. the question, what is it with men and meat? If you can say it in oh. two sentences. Oh. Uh, we really men are protectors. You need protein to do that a effectively. Amen. Yeah. Okay. That's Amen. good. Precarious moment. We got to move on because we got the trek Trekkies coming in All at right. 740. We want to get this conversation over with before they get here. So this is, <laughs> right, the millennials. Um, I messed up. This is where I was slipping. We didn't get very far on our chapters last week because we had a shorter thing. So we're actually picking up at chapter 38 and 39. And then if we get to 40, we get to 40. If we don't, we don't. I'll put my bookmark there so I remember. Chapter 38 in the millennial section is about sexuality. Yeah, so how'd your kids? Uh, no. And your wife. Yeah, amen. Uh, I, I want to read to you the things here that he states 
uh, the, how millennials feel about sexuality and then point out for what I believe to be something that millennials need to really, that they need to work through. Uh, so, number one here, uh, millennials believe that sex is a normal part of dating uh, in millennial relationships, and 50% believes casual sex is morally <coughs> acceptable. The next bullet point, 72% believe in cohabitation, which is living together before uh, marriage vows, and as NPR noted, cohabitation before marriage is now almost a rite of passage for the millennial generation. And then in parentheses, only 25% believe it is morally wrong for a couple to live together with no intention of getting married, uh, end of parentheses. Next bullet point. The rate of sexually transmitted diseases, STDs, among millennials is soaring. Go figure. I, yeah, I thought that interesting how he just plopped that down there after the first two. So I put a zero by the things that are what they deem, or I'm sorry, what they demand that we accept but then a plus or a cross, if you will, as to what they refuse to see or admit about the results of their choices. Mm -hmm. So the first two would be zeros. This is what they demand that we accept, that sex is a normal part of dating, uh, cohabitation's okay before <coughs> marriage. But oh, by the way, the rate of sexually transmitted diseases among millennials is soaring. That's a, that's a you're direct reaping something, it's a, a right. direct correlation. The next one would get across also, young millennials have an extremely high rate of newly diagnosed HIV infections. They also have the highest rate of undiagnosed HIV of any age group. You know, you read these things off of paper and you don't really allow yourself to be wowed and taken aback by the just solemnity of this. I mean, th th this has changed lives because of a refusal to accept a standard that protects you from these things. And as a result, you're going to live for the rest of your life uh, on medicine, or you may not live a long life uh, because of these diseases. Comments? There's an age-old ploy of the devil. What, once you've been damaged, well, what the heck, I, I, I've already, I'm already right. damaged. I'm not, I'm not going to recover from this, to do more damage, to be convinced that you're defective after you've done something that has caused you damage, and then to add to that, it's, it's why not? I'm already what the heck? damaged. Right, it yeah. doesn't make any difference. That, that's co a constant theme that I see when the enemy fools you into something you shouldn't do to begin with, you get damaged, and then you, that is used as the evidence that you should continue to damage yourself. Amen. The next thing that what they demand we accept, 74% view homosexuality as morally acceptable. The next bullet point, 81% support legal recognition of homosexual marriage, and a sizable percentage of millennials say the statement that sex should only be within marriage between a man and a woman is anti-gay. Uh, traditional male-female marriage is not highly esteemed. And then the last bullet point with the zero uh, in this section, 68% saying say, having children outside of marriage is morally acceptable. So then the, the plus though, 57% of children born to millennials are born outside of marriage, the highest percentage of any generation on record. This dramatically increases poverty among millennials. 34% of unmarried millennials with children live in poverty compared with only 8% of married millennials with children who live in poverty. So here's another result uh, of uh, you know, some very negative and bad choices. Any comments on that? I just, I'm, 
isn't isn't saying that sex should be with only within a marriage between a man and woman isn't is that not anti-gay? Not not at all. It, it's anti-truth. I mean, I'm sorry. It's it's truth. It, so, uh, but it does not support gay marriage. C correct. So because it gay would marriage be anti-gay. Uh, well, I mean, I. I, I I would agree with your point. I think yeah, it is because yeah, you're it, saying it, one sure, is morally sure, better than the other. And I guess, and I'm sorry, Ryan, I didn't mean to overtalk you. No, you're fine. Uh, the real argument needs to be uh, is anti-gay the same thing as anti-people? And I, I, I agree. I think <laughs> that is the point that the people who took the survey, that's what they had in mind is anti-gay means you hate that person because right. they are gay, right. which is not even the question. Not even the question. And so, uh, it, you know, the, 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 you come down to arguing moral absolutes against, you know, uh, relative truth. And so, yes, the uh, that sex should only be within a marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, it's also anti premarital sex. It's mm -hmm. also anti mm -hmm. uh, adultery. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It, it's anti all those things because all those things are <coughs> biblically outside of the Perversions boundaries of what God of, wants for you. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Uh, so uh, the next one is uh, two thirds see gender as fluid rather than fixed and half see gender as a spectrum of various identities. For example, even Facebook now recognizes 71 different genders, although that number is changing constantly. And so that's a zero. They, they demand that we accept this. But then the, the cross sign would be 57% of millennials seek out pornography, and 45% see it as morally acceptable. This is yet another extremely damaging habit and lifestyle. So, Go ahead. <clears throat> we, at some point, we were told that homosexuality was not a choice that the individual made. Right. right. That they, they were born, born that, that way. way. But now when we talk about gender, there... You can choose. You can choose. So you, which is exactly the opposite. Right. right. You, you can choose. <coughs> you can develop preferences. You can develop taste for the opposite sex. And you cannot change your gender. Right. Uh, I, you know, anybody that would listen, I have encouraged them when someone, if you will, school or otherwise, tries to push them into a particular, you know, genre, uh, I tell them, you, you tell them that that is a choice. I choose to go, you know, with the biblical uh, approach and the such, and, and, and they just have to work with it, you know, they, they just have to accept it. Uh, millennials have created new standards of sexual norms known as friends with benefits, friends with whom they have casual sex, and sexting, sending sexually explicit pictures of their bodies uh, to potentially interested sexual partners. They even venture into sexual exploitations of classmates and peers. But then this last part, you have to put the cross sign, seemingly, without the slightest regard for the impact their actions might have on their targeted victims. You know, um, it, it, for me, you know, we've been called hypocrites for all of our lives as Christians, but the hypocrisy that is on the side, if you will, of anything goes is just deafening. 
So the last one, 59% of millennials have never married, a percentage much higher than any previous generation. So I, I, I you know, right. I couldn't have. So the main thing in all of this is that millennials largely hold to the belief that if it makes someone happy and doesn't hurt me, it's okay. And who are we to judge what makes someone else happy? You mentioned moral absolutes, and it kind of hits on that later, that Millennials don't believe in moral absolutes. They believe in relativity, that anything goes as long as it doesn't hurt me or someone else. That's right. So uh, he, he talks about presuppositions and values in the next chapter. And uh, he, he, I'm going to jump to the end here, but we can always go back because it goes with your point. There, Houston is bigger than 26 states in our union. It's a big city. And they are running rampant right now with this ideology and the such. So a teacher that this, these two authors know, who had won Teacher of the Year just recently, he was sitting in an in-service teacher training and they were instructed that if a student asks a moral question, teachers were to respond, do whatever you think is right. So our friend asked, so you're telling me that if a student decides to rob a convenience store and they come to me and ask what I think, I can't tell them stealing and robbing is wrong? The answer, correct. You need to tell that student they need to do whatever they think is right. And that's our public school system in Houston. And this is within the last four to five years. And so uh, Houston's also one of the cities that they've tried to defund the police and and you know, crime is rampant, and, and people are fleeing, I would, I would hope, uh, and that's within a state that a lot of people are fleeing to from other liberal states and the such. So you know, now we're not even, we're getting beyond just states, but cities from city to city. Yeah, this, no, no absolutes, I, I'm convinced, it's the, one of the biggest sources of anxiety in this generation. Yep. You, if you don't know what's right from one day to the next, right. or it could change from one to the next, it just sets exactly. you up for social anxiety and not not knowing what to expect from right. the person well, walking down the street coming towards you. And yeah. then because everything is a choice, nothing is absolute, I get to choose, but yet we don't know what we are. Am I male? Am I female? Am I something in between? Am I, you know, whatever. Then it's, like you said, it's just anxiety. I get to choose. I could be anything. And you don't have any guidance to lead you where you, where you really need to go. Without a map or a compass, shipwreck is imminent. Yeah. All right, so we'll pick up the next chapters. We'll start at 39 next week. The Trekkies are here, so we're going to jump into their segment. If you want to pull up the wheel, Brad, we'll see who gets to answer their question first. And make sure we're not gonna you do say... Oh, we ran out of time. They want entertainment. <laughs> it might not be entertainment. It, yeah. Okay, well, here's, here's a would you rather. That was pretty generous. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Would you rather never be able to speak again or have to say everything on your mind? Never speak. Yeah, yeah, never speak again. Yeah. <laughs> that was easy. I will embrace silence. I probably should anyway. Wow. <laughs> so, Uncle Gavin, we got two never speaking. Oh, me too. Never, I'm, oh, no. I'm silent. Okay, well, the radio well, show would die. 
<laughs> but we would. Well, I mean, I, I mean, no, I can't say anything. Uh, I can't you don't do want that. to know That's what goes scary. on in this head of mine. No. Nope. All right, and I then let's do. We can do one more real fast. Would you rather never use social media again or never watch another movie or TV show? Social we got media, a lot of social media yeah, out there. Let it go. From the Trekkies, that surprised wow. me. Let it go. Let I don't want to watch any movies or TV show. Today's really? movies really? and TV aren't worth watching. Well, in the first this place. is true, but, but she didn't go, limit to that. If you go back I 20 years and we yeah. had that quality of right. movies and TV, then for sure I would take yeah. them over social media. No, I don't care. <laughs> I don't like TV. Okay. So. The wheel. I'm sorry, Brad. I keep jumping back and forth. Oh, the you don't have wheel. don't you don't have to add my name. Let me let me answer mine because I didn't go last week. So my question is Chase is from Chase Nays in the sixth grade class, and I picked this because it's something that I've been curious about too. If BC is before Christ and AD is after death, what are the years called between the two? So the answer is actually. In the question, the question is wrong. A.D. does not stand for after death. A.D. is a Latin phrase, and I'm going to mess it up. I think it's anno or anno domini, which means in the year of our Lord. And so it was actually not fully implemented and accepted until several centuries after Jesus' death. So like when Jesus was alive, they weren't saying you know, A.D. or in the year of our Lord at that point either. And the purpose of the B.C. and A.D. dating system was to make the birth of Jesus Christ the dividing point of the world. So it's not the death, it's actually the birth, because that's when everything changes. The birth, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ are the turning points in world history. So viewing our era as the year of our Lord is appropriate because he is Lord. In Philippians 2, 10 through 11, it says that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, but you should know, especially if you're in school right now, that in recent times there has been a push to replace the B.C. and A.D. labels with B.C.E. and C.E., meaning before Common Era and Common Era, respectively, because they are trying to take Christ out sure. of the equation. They don't Completely want it to be. Completely out of history. Right, exactly. They don't want it to, the the birth of Christ being the turning point of history. They want to completely erase that. Amano Domini. Amano Domini, in the year of our Lord. So A.D., they say after death because that's, you know, that makes sense. AD, yeah. But it is not after his death. Oh, the B.C.E. used, yeah, before Christ entered and Christ entered. I see what you're saying there. Very, Very good. good. Oh, okay. So, Do hit the wheel. Yes, Uncle so Kevin. So, BC came, it ticked down to year one. Right. The next year was year one. <coughs> yes. AD. So, so there's no years in between it. I guess I misunderstood the question. There's no time in between it. I did there. not hit that. No, but you're okay. right. So, it starts out, you know, at six or 2,000 years mm -hmm. and then counts down, down to, to one. one BC and yeah. then Christ is born and then it starts one AD when Christ is born. And you're one right. addition. So, there's nothing in between them that up till about the last 50 to 100 years, it was the practice of most, most scholars to say, and in the year of our Lord, whatever date, you know, uh, be, because it's That's what AD, AD, it's AD yeah, in, yeah. In the year of our Lord, 2010, I <coughs> caught, a, caught a trout. <laughs> a All right. Have so that was my question. I got Caitlin Lamb. 
seventh grade class. Is Caitlin here tonight? Awesome. Can we lose our salvation and then get it back after repenting? Was Judas Iscariot saved and lost his salvation when he turned Jesus in, then recognized what he did was wrong, and then repented, and the guilt overwhelmed him? Good question. Good question. So first of all, uh, a, a principle that I like to use uh, in God's Word and studying is you let the clear interpret the cloudy. And so it's cloudy in God's Scripture on occasion, and especially in this situation, as to whether or not you can lose your salvation. we got to let the clear interpret the cloudy. And so are there verses in God's Word that clearly states that, quote-unquote, once saved, always saved? Absolutely. John 3, 16, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his uh, only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, you've got, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of works, not of yourself, lest any man shall boast. Uh, and then the my favorite is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that talks about after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. So for me, it's a settled fact. You always start here. No one, no man or woman, boy or girl, can lose their salvation once they truly have it. That's the issue. Does someone truly possess salvation? If they do, they're saved for eternity. If they do not and they're deceived, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. I don't personally believe that Judas ever believed that he was a believer. Judas was a pretender. Judas had a big problem with material possession. And so he became the purse keeper with the 12 disciples. And even though these men were basically not people of means, they were in a 501c3 type situation back in the day. They were a charitable organization, so they had people giving them money, and Judas kept that money. And so Judas played the part. The Bible calls him the son of perdition. And so uh, now you can get into all sorts of deep theological waters here. I'm simply going to tell you that it is my humble opinion that Judas could have been saved, but he chose not to. And so I don't believe he ever had salvation. And ultimately, when you talk to someone about, quote, unquote, whether or not you can lose your salvation, you get into these hypotheticals. Are you trying to tell me that I can get saved today and go out and kill 15 people tomorrow and still go to heaven? I'm telling you, if you go out and kill 15 people after the day you got saved, you probably did not get saved the day before type thing. And so uh, possession is the key. If you possessed Christ, you're going to heaven. Uh, but your works will show whether or not you are a possessor or a pretender. Now, and I'm trying to, there were several caveats in that question. Anything you guys want to add to that? One of my favorite uh, security of the believer verses is John 10, uh, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. So that's a gift from Christ and they shall never perish. Now that's not, that doesn't sound very, squishy or sketchy that sounds pretty solid and he says neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand my father which gave them unto me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand i and my father are one 
sounds pretty much a one-way deal. And I, I do believe that he was distraught after his betrayal, but I don't believe that his suicide was a act of repentance uh, in the such. I, I think it was, I'm not, I can't bear this anymore. Um, and, and of course that brings up a whole nother, you know, issue. But uh, as far as did he lose his salvation? No, I don't believe he ever had it. Very good. All right, let's move on to the next question. I think we'll be able to do at least one more. Well, we probably have time for two. Uncle Gavin. All right. So mine was number six. Do you have it up there, Brad? Oh, fiddlesticks. Number six, it was, chi uh, I'm sorry, uh, I've even forgotten who. Okay, we there. can pull it up. Yep, We're to. almost there. Maybe not. Okay, six. number six. <laughs> Got oh. it? Yeah. Serenity Males in the seventh grade class. Serenity here? She's right there. Okay. Will we recognize people in heaven that we know here on earth? Will we know them as who or what they or what we knew them as here on earth? And will we be able to watch a life recapped in heaven? So, so it, it's it, it's my persuasion that yes, all the answer to those questions are yes. So let's go through the will we know people in heaven? Um, I've got three examples here. David, David, when he lost his son, when his son was passed away from. Uh, an illicit relationship he had with another woman, that son died. David said, I will go to him, but he, he will not come back to me. So David's going to go to heaven, and he'll meet his son in heaven when he gets there. Um, Hebrews 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easy, easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Understanding that those who have gone before us are looking back on a, our our life and our race for Christ, our um, life for Christ, they're witnessing how we are, we are serving the Lord, and and if we get to see it in heaven, it'll be them cheering us on. Um, so so yes, I believe that even that our loved ones who've gone before know who we are on earth, and we will ultimately know who they are. Um, and you know, third, the uh, story of rich man and Lazarus. So they both died. Uh, Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. That's the good side of heaven. And the rich man was in Hades or the, the bad side. And there was a gulf between them. And the rich man asked specifically for Lazarus to come with a drop of water on his finger to put it on his tongue so he'd get his uh, thirst quenched. So the rich man recognized Lazarus in heaven. Um, so yes, we will know that we will know our neighbors, we'll know our friends, um, and we'll have uh, a better knowledge of them, and, and they'll have a better knowledge of us. So as far as watching a replay of our life, um, there's at some point we will all, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord, and we will also confess our, our sins. I think that there is there are books that are kept of the events that happen on earth, um, the, the books being opened is, is mentioned in uh, Revelation several times. The books were opened and, and searched. Um, so, yes, I think history is recorded and, and remembered, and it may be in a way that we don't understand now, but it'll be some, some way that we can look back on 
Um, I'm so looking forward to going to the DVD store <coughs> in heaven and watching uh, different events in my own life and, and reliving and laughing with Moses about the, the time I went into the ladies' restroom in the doctor's office building. So th th those kinds of things. That you um, had went into for years, <laughs> right? As, if I remember the story no, right. No, no. You're, you're getting me confused. With uh, no, 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 no. You, you told it. Maybe it's a different story, but a, a hospital or you know something that you were selling microscopes at, and you went into the room that you had always... They changed them. Is that yeah, not... That's something like that. Okay. Happened. So either yeah. I went... I got... On the wrong floor. Right. And oh, those, I got gotcha. you. So I, yeah. I flipped You thought you were going to the men's. To the men's room. And yeah. there was a very aggravated lady that kept it, coming it in and it, looking yeah. at you. I, I'm very... Well, <laughs> in this day and age, you could have still been in the men's restroom. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, yeah, I, do you... I, I, can I add two things real quick? Because we've got plenty of time, don't we? Or no, no, we don't. Oh. Oh, well, I was going to see if Ryan could answer his question. So Absolutely. I was just going to move on to the next question. Okay. If, well, Uncle Gavin, you're good. I'm good. Yeah. All right. You got okay, so the question... Let's see if we could do it in two minutes. <laughs> is why does God take our loved ones before we're ready, and why does God make us suffer? For a two-minute question. Ooh. Okay, so I'm gonna risk sounding heartless, but I think it's a good point that isn't said enough. Is that um, God isn't obligated to keep us out of pain? So it says, why does God take our loved ones before we're ready? We don't have to be ready for it to be someone else's time to go. Which brings up my second point that. Each individual, like I am not the center of the universe, you're not the center of the universe. That other person who died had a whole purpose in and of themselves that is completely separate from you. So it's extremely painful, unbearably painful even sometimes to lose a loved one, but it doesn't, it's not all about you that that person died, if that makes sense. Um, there's a bigger purpose, a bigger picture in life that we can't necessarily see. The second part of the question, why does God make us suffer? Ultimately, it's because he gave us the choice to obey him or not, and we chose to have the knowledge of good and evil, um, which brings up another point, which is that if there is God, there is good. So a lot, of, a lot of atheists will use the problem of evil as evidence against God. But so if there is God, there is good. If there is no God, there is no good. If there is no good, there is no evil. So which is easier to believe, that there is no evil looking around you and seeing all the things going on, it's saying that there is no evil, or saying that we can't necessarily understand the full picture from where we are now? That may not be a satisfactory answer. <laughs> it's a lot to cram into two minutes. That was but, beautiful. I, yep. I did just want to point out that that question, though, is, is misguided mm -hmm. or misleading, whatever the word is. God doesn't make us suffer. Yes. Like you said, and that was another it, part that it I wasn't was a sure choice. I had time to address. We brought the suffering onto ourselves mm -hmm. or in the garden, Adam and Eve, and we've been born into that suffering. Yeah. There's a, a distinction between make and allow. Yeah. That needs, well, and, and I mean, you know, they're they're expressing it the only way they know how. Oh, well, yeah. But but I do agree. We, we need to correct that and make sure that everyone understands. As Tom famously has said, uh, God doesn't send anyone to hell. He simply uh, allows them to do what they are asking to be done. Uh, he honors their request. There you go. Uh, and so, you know, we, we make the choice to, to sin. We mm -hmm. make the, and as a result, you know, Brad started using that in funerals. And uh, we've gotten some backlash a time or two. But, you know, people want to know, well, why are we here? You know, why are we here at the death of someone? Well, we're here because that person was a sinner, you know. 
Well, it sounds like we're saying that they died because of a particular sin. No, no not at all. They died because of sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sin's when Adam sinned, it said the ground was cursed because yeah. of it. I yeah. mean, things completely changed That's at that right. point. And, and our spirits died, and so our physical body can't Correct. live without our spirits there. Um, didn't God make everything? He is the creator of everything. That's what David just texted me. Except sin. Except he did not make sin. The physical world, yes, he created in the beginning. He made man in his, in his own image, and God is a free moral spirit. He made man a free moral spirit. A relationship with God without the choice to leave it is meaningless, and it's demeaning to his creation. God, God chose not to make a uh, being like that. And, and we've got the book of Job that proves to us that God is not the author of all the things that happen to us. The devil is the author of most, in my humble opinion, of the bad stuff. You know, and again, the only reason he can do those things is because of sin. All right. Uh, awesome conversation. Hopefully we can have more again the next time you guys come. Trey, good question. two weeks. Yep. Awesome. Sorry I had to put that stringent time on your question. You did a great job answering it. Uncle Gavin, do you have our word of wisdom tonight? I do. So uh, John 14, 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Jesus makes it clear in a couple of different places that obedience to him is love. And he make, sets the example for us that obeying each other is an expression of love. It's the detail of love. E- obedience is the detail of love. So if obedience is the substance of loving someone, disobedience is a manifestation of hatred. Deep. Okay. Thanks, guys, for joining us tonight. Invite your friends, neighbors, and relatives to next week and share the word on your socials. Good night and God bless. Day, day, day.